Good morning. Thank you for being with us. We are so excited that you're here with us. My name is Drew Klein. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, man, we're privileged and honored that you're joining us today. If this is your first, second, third time, you've been a few times, thanks for being here. We know there's a lot of places you can try out and, and God is doing something in our city and we're excited about that. In fact, uh, there's a, a church texted me this morning downtown saying, hey, we just want you to let you know we're praying for South City this morning. And so I'm so thankful for that and for what God is doing and knitting us together as a body of Christ in this city and thankful that you are here with us. Uh, we're in this new series called Stories, and we're trying to do a couple of things with this series. Number one, we want to introduce you to different people in our body. And number two, we want to introduce you to some stories in Scripture that help us know God. So this morning, I want to introduce you to a dear friend of mine. Uh, her name is Brenda Blanco. Uh, she came, really, her and Alberto came uh, to the church a while ago, probably over a year and a half ago, when we were still temple. And uh, it was a beautiful, we're so glad that they came, they joined our church. Um, you know, they, uh, uh, Alberto and Kevin and David, their two boys, all three of them came to know Jesus and I baptized them in the uh, baptistry. It was a beautiful morning, remember that? It was wonderful. Uh, Alberto is the coach of the soccer team and soccer league that we have called uh, Southwest Eagles. We love them and support them, and many of them are here today, their families and boys and girls that are here, part of the program and wearing their jerseys and and we're so glad for all that they're doing. We've had different opportunities to pray over them and, and to support them, and that's been a wonderful thing as well. Uh, but, you know, something happened in, in Brenda's life, and I just wanted to invite Brenda to come up and uh, stand with me. And Brenda, I'll give you this mic here. Come on, sweetheart. Yeah. So for, if you know her story, you know that her walking up here and standing here is sort of a big deal, right? Yeah. Praise God. Thank you. Yeah. So, but I, Brenda, tell us, obviously you had an interruption in your life, what, about nine months ago or, yeah. or so? And, be almost a year. It was in October 2017. Mm. So right out of year. Tell I us what happened. A stroke. Yeah. I remember, so it was obviously an unexpected situation. You ended up in, in the hospital. Yes. Um, tell us a little bit about what, what some of the things that have, that's caused, what's going on, what kind of about some of that experience, if you would. Well, you know, what caused the stroke? Um, the doctors don't even sure what, what happened. Some, they say it was for a medication that I was taking. Someone, they say, because my dad has not stroke before, mm -hmm. so it's in the family. So we, we don't know exactly what happened. Mm. It's caused some, some situations. You still don't have a lot of use with your left arm, right? And that's, but for those of you that were following the story, you know this is amazing from where she's come from, right? Yeah. Uh, from a hospital bed to this point, standing with me today. <laughs> I love it. She knows God is good to her. She knows God has, has done a work in her heart. And one of the things, praise God for her, I, one of the things that we've talked about and that I've seen in her, that even through the difficulty, and you can imagine, through the brokenness of 
her body and her life. And this is even, she said, her father has, has had a stroke. And so this is something she's dealt with as a family before now. Something else has happened. Something else has been healed, not just part of her body, but God is doing a work in her heart as a disciple of Jesus, isn't he, in you? So tell us a little bit about what he's been doing in you as, a, as knowing him more. Do you know him more now as a result of kind of what's happened? Yes. Before I had the stroke, like two months before, when Pastor uh, no, Elvis and, and Wendy come to Arkansas, Wendy asked me if I want to learn more about the Bible, and I say yes. Because my husband and my kids getting baptized, so I say I have to do something different too. Mm. I want to learn more. I read the Bible so many times before because I've been coming to church since I was 14 years old. So I know the Bible and everything, but I read it and read it, and it was the same thing. I don't understand what I was reading. So mm. when she told me if I wanted to learn more, I said yes. <laughs> Amen. As a result, now, Brenda, you've also been leading somebody else in Bible studies, haven't you? Yes. <laughs> That's kind of the way it's supposed to work, church. God does a work in our heart, and then we begin to teach it to other people. I want you to know something. This has not been an easy road physically for her. If anybody had an excuse to say, well, I'll, I'll do some discipleship when I'm better, when I feel better, when life is a little easier, she did not say that. She has been learning and growing in Jesus, and she's been making disciples for Jesus in the middle of her brokenness, in the middle of her struggle. And uh, we are so thankful for her. Is there anything else that you want to share with, with us as your family, or can we pray for you in some specific way? Well, I love to be here. Thank you for the opportunity. I love the kids from soccer. Mm. They be there for me. Even if they don't come to church, they be there for me. Right. My family, my husband, my kids, everybody's there for me. <laughs> like all of you, even if you don't know me, you pray for me. Yeah. Okay. What a joy to get to know Brenda a little bit more. Do you have more that you want Thank to tell you. us? And I learned that I'm not a victim. God gave me the strength to Ooh. keep going, and I know if I am every step that I made because God called me. Yes. She says, I'm not a victim. She said, this is God's story, and she's walking in the story that he's given her. And thank all of you for all your praise, because I know God is hearing you. Yes. And every day, I'm better. Amen. Praise. Amen. Let's give her a hand. Tell her we love her. Great job. Great job. Thank you. Praise God. He's still healing. He's still working. He's still doing something that only he can do. I love this family. I love the Southwest Eagles. I love what God is doing uh, in that soccer program. And, and now we have a new coach that's helping us as well. Different coaches. I see a couple of our coaches even here today. So glad you guys are here. Um, God is doing a work in this family. He's doing a work in our uh, church. He's doing the work in the Hispanic community of Southwest Little Rock. There's no doubt. And I just ask that you would continue to pray for the Blancos as God uses them to, uh, for his glory in this community. 
You know, everybody knows Alberto, right? Everybody knows Alberto. And uh, he's a wonderful man, and God is using him for his glory. And I just pray that more Hispanics come to know Jesus, and we get the privilege to be family with them and to see them discipled to Jesus as he's doing in our own lives, right? That's our hope. That's our prayer. Well, listen, here's the reality this morning. None of us, nobody here is expecting a stroke. Nobody's wanting a stroke. Nobody puts on their calendar, next Tuesday, some massive medical thing is going to happen in my life, and it's going to interrupt my entire life. Right? We don't plan for those things, and yet they happen to all of us. It could be a medical thing. It could be the death of a loved one. It could be the adoption of a child or the loss of a family member. It could be a financial situation. All of these possibilities are endless. But life has a way of throwing something at us when we're least expecting it, doesn't it? And yet somehow we have to trust that God is good, that he's with us in the middle of this unexpected event. And that somehow he's going to use this for his glory and our good. But you know what we do? We go, God, how could you be a good God and allow something like this to happen? Have you ever asked that question? All of us probably have at some point or another. God, how could you be a good God and allow this to happen to me or my family or this person that I love so much? We, we say it all the time. But the thing I want us to see this morning in the story that we're going to study, look here, look here is this, sometime, God's, sometime God allows the brokenness of our life so that he can bring wholeness and healing to our heart. I'm going to say it again because it's, it's hard to take in, it's hard to understand, it's hard to believe, but sometimes God allows brokenness in our bodies and our lives so that he can bring wholeness and healing to our hearts, and that's more important than, than anything else, Right? I want to look at a story this morning about a young man. His name is Maribel. Anybody ever heard the story of Maribel? Good. That's the name his father gave him. It's not the name you might be familiar with. You probably are more familiar with the name that his father gave him. He actually does have a name you might be familiar with. But I want you to understand that his father gave him this name. We see it in 1 Chronicles 9.40 when it happens. Uh, his name actually means contender with Baal, or enemy of Baal, right? So his father wanted him to be a, a fighter against God's enemies. Pretty noble, pretty, pretty great name, actually. Mayor Baal. His name changes here in a little while. Let me tell you a little bit more about him. He was a prince. He lived in a palace. He had anything he could want, right? His grandfather was the first king of Israel, Saul. His father was Saul's son, Jonathan. And everything changed in one day, the way it does to some of us at times. His, his life completely uh, was derailed by tragedy. It was interrupted by something that he couldn't control. In one day, he found out that his uh, father and grandfather were killed in battle. Now, you remember Saul was the first king of Israel. Remember, uh, the system that God had put in place was the system of the judges. But at some point, God's people said, we don't want that. We want a king. We want what other nations have. They all have kings. We want a king. And God tried to warn him and said, you don't want a king. You don't want a king because the king will, will uh, take from you your sons and your daughters and your land and your property and everything. And 
They said, no, we want a king. That's what other nations have. We want a king. And so finally God says, I'll give you a king. And he gives them Saul. Well, Saul, you know, starts off pretty good. <laughs> he was a good-looking guy. He was head and shoulders above the rest in Israel. He was a warrior and he even honored God for a season. And then he began to want more and more control. And so God said, well, if you've gone bad, then I'm going to choose another king. I'm going to anoint another king. Of course, we know that he anoints David to be king. Well, before David kind of comes into power, Saul is still king. Uh, Saul is still fighting battles. Saul has brought David into his home, uh, but David's not officially king yet. And in one day, Saul's grandson, Meribel, playing at the palace, his life is interrupted and has changed in one day. Saul and his son, Jonathan, are killed in battle against the Philistines. The word, you can just imagine this. Imagine we hear that the president and the vice president have both been killed. Do you think there would be pandemonium in the country? Would it be crazy? Would people be freaking out? Yes, especially in the White House. And that's exactly the scene we see at the palace. Pandemonium. Uh, crazy things going on. I think they were fearful maybe of the Philistines coming into Jerusalem. Maybe they were fearful, and maybe more likely fearful, of the new king. Because, see, the tradition was when uh, one dynasty was, was ended and those, that king and his successors were gone, a new king would come in. He would, he would come in and kill off anybody from a previous administration, so to speak. He would kill off any potential contender for the throne to make sure that there was no issues. He would kill them off. It was tradition. So it's very possible that Saul's staff and his people around the kingdom, around the palace, were going, we've got to get out of here because who knows what David's going to do if David becomes king. Who knows? Maybe he'll kill us all. And so we see something happen in uh, Meribel's life that changes his life even further and more tragically is going from bad to worse. Look with me in 2 Samuel chapter 4, verse 4. Jonathan, the son of Saul, had a son who was crippled in his feet. He was five years old when the news about Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel. And his nurse took him up and fled. And as she fled in her haste, he fell and became lame. And his name was Mephibosheth. Have you heard that name? Still not a ton of, ton of recognition with that name, but, but this is Mephibosheth's story. It's a little hard to pronounce, and so we tend to not want to. Everybody say this, Mephibo. Chef. You did it. No big deal. Mephibosheth is his name. So what's going on in the palace is crazy pandemonium. A nurse grabs little Meribale, takes him in her arms, and either she falls or he falls from her arms in haste falls and breaks both of his legs, laming him for the rest of his life. Now, there's no question that these folks were in a, in a hurry. And what we see a little bit later is they were probably rushing this young prince out of the city so that he could become sort of like a fugitive, rushing him into hiding so that he wouldn't be killed by the incoming administration. So they're going to rush him out of town, potentially, to get him out of the way. This, I want to just kind of, by the way, do a little recap on this poor child's day, can we? Notice that his name goes from contender with Baal to Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth means shame. It means shame. 
His father named him something of a warrior prince to, be, uh, to fight against God's enemies. And now his name is going to mean shame. And it's recorded as shame. In the same day, he loses his father, his grandfather. In the same day, he's, he's being rushed out of the palace to become a fugitive. And in haste, he's, he falls and breaks both legs, laming him for the rest of his life. And then he spends the rest of his life in a, a sort of a desolate place called Lodabar. It's, it's a deserted place. Literally, the name Lodabar means no bread. Sort of an outskirt sort of a place in hiding. And he spends the rest of his life really not even knowing if King David wants to kill him or not. You might remember that there's a really good relationship between uh, Jonathan, Saul's son, and King David. You remember that? They were, they were best of friends. They were best of friends. And what happens is, and what's interesting is this, it's the fact that Jonathan recognizes that David has been anointed king. God has anointed David king. Now, this is long before they were killed. This is while Jonathan is still the prince in the house, the next one to be king. But Jonathan doesn't make a fuss. He, he acknowledges that God is at work that David is the next, anointed, the next anointed king. And so I want to look at what happens between David and, and Jonathan. Okay? He recognizes he's the next anointed king, and he makes a covenant with David. 1 Samuel 18, 1 through 4 says, As soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him that day, speaking of David, and would not let him return to his father's house. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. Now watch this. Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him. And he gave it to David. He gave him his armor, even his sword, his bow, and his belt. Now I want you to see what's happening here. Jonathan is literally stripping himself of all the accoutrements that make him the prince of all the things that, that make him the next king. He's acknowledging, it's not me, and he takes these things off and he places them on David. He's making a statement. This is, a, this is an act of trust as well between these two men. And then Jonathan and David do something that pretty interesting will give us some context for the rest of our story. Look down a little bit further. First, Sam, uh, First Samuel 20, I'm sorry, it's Second Samuel 20, I believe. 2 Samuel 20, 42. Then Jonathan said to David, go in peace because we have sworn both of us in the name of the Lord saying, the Lord shall be between you and between my offspring and your offspring forever. Now, it, it begins to make a little bit more sense here. Not only that Jonathan would give him his robe and his sword and his belt, his armor, his defensive the stuff that keeps him safe, right? He's, he's giving everything to David. But it makes sense in, in, in chapter 20 that he's giving these things to him and he's saying, let's make a covenant for our offspring. Now, why would he do that? Because traditionally, the next king did what to the, the king's family before him? Right? So it makes sense that Jonathan would say, hey, David, let's, be, let's make an oath. Let's make a covenant one to another for our generations, for our children. Would you protect my, my kids? Would you honor my family? Would there be an oath between us with the Lord that you would protect us? And we're gonna see 
that David remembers that covenant with Jonathan's family. And he shows him kindness. Look with me, 2 Samuel chapter 9, verse 1 through 5. It says, and this is the main text of our, of our message this morning. It says, and David said, is there still anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? And now there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba, and they called him to David. And, and the king said to him, are you Ziba? And he said, I am your servant. And the king said, is there not still someone of the house of Saul? that I may show the kindness of God to him. Ziba said to the king, there's still a son of Jonathan. He's crippled in his feet. The king said to him, where is he? Or some of your translations say, I think better, where is this son? And Ziba said to the king, he is in the house of Machir and the son of Emil at Lodabar. Then King David sent and brought him from the house of Machir, the son of Emil at Lodabar. So this is what's happening. We, we know that in the first text we talked about that um, Mephibosheth is five years old. And there's been some time that has lapsed, okay? So we know that now in this next text we learn that, that Mephibosheth has a son of his own. So this is at least 15, 20 years maybe later. David's kingdom is becoming more and more established. And in doing so, he's remembering his friend Jonathan. I don't know, maybe something reminded them of a friend. You ever have something like that happen to you? You go to a certain restaurant, you sit in a certain place, some song plays on the radio, and you, ah, oh, I just remember that special relationship that I have with that person. You know what I mean? For whatever reason, David in this moment remembers his dear friend, Jonathan. And in doing so, he remembers that he made a covenant with Jonathan. And so he goes, is there anybody left from, from Saul's family that I can show the kindness of God? And Ziba, the servant who was servant of Saul, says, yeah, there's, there's Mephibosheth. He's crippled in both of his feet. And David says, where is this son? Where is this son? See, he, we see that he, he wants to be a blessing to Mephibosheth. It's not David's heart, right? To, uh, it's not David's heart to, to kill Mephibosheth to take him out, to harm him in some way. He wants to be a blessing. David remembers his friend and wants to show kindness to him. So does Mephibosheth know that? <laughs> so you, can you imagine being Mephibosheth? From five years old, you've lived in this barren place. It's been a rough life. You've literally been an outcast of society. You went from palace prince to an outcast of society on the outskirts of town. Your whole life, maybe somebody's telling you, you better hope King David never finds out you're alive because you'll be dead. Man, that would, be a, that would be a hard growing up life, wouldn't it? That'd be a hard existence. And then all of a sudden, one day, he gets a knock on the door. King David wants to see you. What do you think he would feel? <laughs> there would be a ton of fear. There would be a ton of, 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 of anxiousness in his heart. What does this mean? Does this mean I'm dead? Well, he goes to the palace, but we know David doesn't want to harm him. He wants to bless him, right? All he knows is in one day his life changed for the, for the negative. In one day his life was interrupted. In one day everything changed. It seems like David was at the head of that. He probably hated David. And now he's going to go see him. Look with me, 2 Samuel 9, verse 6 through 8. And Mephibosheth 
the son of, Jonathan, uh, son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David. He fell on his face and paid homage. And David said, Mephibosheth. And he answered, Behold, I'm your servant. You just get the sense he's face down, ready to, to receive whatever's coming. David said, Do not fear, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan. And I will restore to you all the land of Saul, your father. And you shall eat at my table always. I want to read that again because, yeah, you just heard me say that. Do not fear. I will show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan. And I will restore to you all the land of, of Saul, your father. And you shall eat at my table always. And he paid homage and said, what is your servant that you should regard for a dead dog such as I? Now, <laughs> David's heart is to be a blessing, to show kindness to Mephibosheth because of Jonathan. He says, don't fear. Mephibosheth, Mephibosheth thinks, I'm going to die right here, right now. And he says, no, 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 don't fear. I want to show you kindness. And, man, he's serious when he means kindness. Look at what he does. He restores to Mephibosheth all the land that was Saul's. Now, do you think the first king of Israel had quite a bit of land? A ton. A ton of land. Not only that, we learn later in the text that, that he, uh, David's going to tell Ziba, hey, Ziba, you and your family of 35 are now going to serve Mephibosheth. So now, just think about this. Mephibosheth is going from obscurity He's going from being an outcast, fugitive, whose life is broken. His name means shame. And in one day, he wins the lottery, doesn't he? He's given all the land of Saul, and he's given all the servants of Saul in one day. On top of that, David says, I want you to eat at my table always. I want you to eat with me. So what's significant about that in one way is that David, uh, Mephibosheth's not going to need the food. From all of Saul's land and all of Saul's servants, he's not going to need that food. So what's David doing in this moment? He's being so kind to Mephibosheth. Not only is he going to feed him at his own table every day, he is setting up Mephibosheth's son and his generations after him with a very lucrative business. He's got servants, land, he can bring, they can bring in food, and now even though Mephibosheth won't need that food because he's eating at the king's table, his family has a life that Mephibosheth couldn't give them. Do you see that? It's unbelievable kindness from David. He tells Mephibosheth, you will, you will eat with me at my table always, at the king's table. He's saying, you're welcome here. I want to be in relationship with you. And Mephibosheth can't hardly take it all in. He says, wait, wait. Why would you be so kind to a dead dog like me? Now listen, in Jewish culture, a dog is not a good thing. It's a, it's, a, it's a lowly animal, unclean. This is not a good thing in Jewish culture. But a dead dog is a double insult. This is what Mephibosheth is calling himself. Why would you treat me with such kindness? I'm a dead dog. Just the lowest insult you could possibly give yourself. That's who I am, and you're treating me with this kind of kindness. Why? Does, let me ask this question. Does this show us at all a little bit about uh, Mephibosheth's self-esteem? Does it speak at all to who he, he, what he feel, felt about himself? Does it speak at all to, to how he saw his life? Does it speak at all to his name? How could you be so kind to such a dead dog as me? He had no self-respect. He had no self-esteem. His whole life had been one of shame and worthlessness. 
And the worst part is he believed it. He was living under the cloud of this stigma and this label in his life. And yet it's so important that when David's looking for him, he says to Ziba, where is this son? David didn't see. David didn't see. You know, he didn't see the outcast. He didn't see the fugitive. He wanted to see the son. See, David knew who Mephibosheth was. He was the king's son. He knew whose he was, the king. There, there was a worth to his life that he valued, and he wanted to see and bless this son. I, I can't help but think about, I was looking at this this morning, I couldn't help but think about Amazing Grace, the song Amazing Grace. Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a what? A wretch like me. Sometimes we may not see ourselves uh, of having any worth. And honestly, without the love and grace and mercy of Jesus, we have the worth of the fact that we are created in the image of God, but his grace, his grace gives us infinite value, infinite worth. And we see that about to happen in Mephibosheth's life. Look at uh, 2 Samuel 9, 11. I love this verse. It says, so King David said, I'm sorry, it says, so Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. Now, now David had said he wanted to give kindness to Mephibosheth. But this kindness is a little outrageous, don't you think? I mean, in order to keep the covenant that he made with Jonathan, all he needed to do was not kill Mephibosheth. That would have been easy enough, just let him rot away where he is, I guess. I won't kill him, I won't search for him, I won't seek him out, he can just continue to live. That would have been keeping the covenant. But David wanted to be kind, he wanted to do more and above and love. And so what does he do? He gives him the land of Saul, the servants of Saul. He blesses him in every possible way and he says to him, I want you to eat at my table always. Not one time, come eat at the teen's table once. That would have been an amazing, amazing honor. But he says, no, I want you to eat always at my table. And so Mephibosheth, in essence, becomes one of the sons, sitting at the table with all of David's sons. Now, when this is written, I want you to see this. In this text, four times it says that he would eat at the king's table. Four times. Do you know why? It's because it's such a big deal. It's such a big deal. In fact, the end of this text, it says on your card, at the very end of our story, it says, and he was lame in both feet, like the writer's trying to help us understand. This is a big deal that he would eat at the king's table. You know, I heard a pastor say this week about this message, and I think it's a beautiful picture. When Mephibosheth sits under the table of the king, and he sits with the other sons, his brokenness is covered by that table. His legs don't come into play he can just be a, a whole son at these meals. That table, every time he sits there, he can be reminded of the grace and kindness of David and his brokenness of his legs and the past and of his story are covered by that table and by that grace. Isn't that beautiful? Years go by. Years go by and David's kingdom is becoming more and more established. And one of the things that David wants to do is he wants to make sure that his that the relationship of Israel to other nations around him is just getting better and better. He's establishing better relationships. In fact, he goes to these people, the Gibeonites, and, and Saul had done bad things to these people. And so David was trying to make it right. 
And David basically says to the Gibeonites, hey, what do you need to happen here in order for you to pray for Israel again, that God would bless Israel? What needs to happen in order for you to pray that God would bless Israel? Well, their answer was, well, we want seven males from Saul's lines, from Saul's family. We want those seven males and we want to hang them in public. That's our revenge and that's what we want. Well, guess whose name would be on the top of that list as the very first male of the family? Mephibosheth. He should have been the very first one to go. And David agrees to giving those seven men. But look what it says, 2 Samuel 21, 6 and 7. And David agrees. So King David said, I'll give you these seven males. I'll give you these men. Verse 7, but the king spared Mephibosheth, the son of Saul's son, Jonathan, because of the oath of the Lord that was between them, between David and Jonathan, the son of Saul. You see that David spared Mephibosheth's life again because of the covenant with Jonathan. His life is spared. I love these stories that we're telling, in the, especially in the Old Testament. Because I believe in every single Old Testament story, we can see a picture of who God is to us. We can see a picture of his grace. We can see a, even a picture of the gospel played out in these old stories in our own lives. And that's if we see anything else this morning. It's not just that I want to tell you this old story from the Old Testament. I want you to see the, the resemblance, the reflection of God's grace and goodness and the truth of the gospel in this story and in your story. So before we go this morning, I want to give us a, a, a few things, a few gospel connections from Mephibosheth's story and remind you, you're already seeing them. They're already coming into view, but let's make sure we see them very clearly, can we? Number one, like Mephibosheth, we too were crippled by a fall. You see that? When Adam and Eve sinned because of the fall of man, they were crippled by sin and all of mankind was crippled. When Adam and Eve sinned, every man and woman, boy and girl for the rest of time would be infected by this disease of sin. The Bible says, it's in Romans 5.12 that, that, that sin entered through one man. But we know it also says that by, by Jesus, that forgiveness comes through that one man. So even though it entered through Adam, our solution is in Jesus. We're all infected. We're all affected. We're all crippled and made lame by sin. But God's grace can change. It's something else that's interesting. Adam and Eve went into hiding, didn't they, after they sinned? They rushed Mephibosheth into hiding, and it's exactly the same thing we do when we sin. We want to run from being known by God. Here's the second thing. We, uh, like Mephibosheth, we too were pursued by a king. David wanted to bless this family, and he finds out about Mephibosheth, and he says, where is this son? Who is this son? How can we find out about this son? He begins to seek for Mephibosheth in the same way Jesus came to seek for us, the Bible tells us in Luke 19.10, in the story of Zacchaeus, Jesus himself says, the Son of Man came to seek and save that which was lost. We too have a king searching for us. 
so that he can welcome us into his family. And like Mephibosheth, we too can let circumstances and brokenness of our lives affect us. Every one of us this morning is dealing with some sort of aspect, whether it's from our family, whether it's from some sin choices that we've made, whether it's some some addictions we've gotten, whatever's going on, many of us in this room today are living under the dark cloud of some identity that we've connected to. Every one of us, at some point or another, struggle with some identity that's been given to us. You see, Meribael went from a, a warrior prince to be an enemy of the enemies of God to being one under the cloud of shame. And his whole tragic life was one identified with that shame that he couldn't even make sense. Why you would be kind to me? I'm a dead dog. And in the same way, many of you this morning feel that connectedness to him to say, man, how could God love me? But the beauty here is this. God wants to change that identity. He wants to remove the junk that other people have labeled you with. His was shame. You know, probably a five-year-old boy doesn't name himself, do you think? Somebody gave him that name, and somebody gave gave you the name that you're living under as well. It may be an old tape. It may be an old experience. It may be an old sin, but many of us struggle under this label that we've lived under for so many years, and it's time we change our identity. What identity have you lived under? What label is on your heart and over your life? Maybe you walk in this morning and your label is divorced or bankrupt. Maybe your label is fired or or, or criminal or addict. What is your label that you've chosen that identity with? Friends, it's time to change because God wants to reverse that curse. Revelation 2.17 says that for those of us that have overcome sin, obviously the only way to do this is by Jesus' blood and the power of his grace. The only way to do that, he's going to give us each a new name. And we'll be the only ones that understand it and know it. Whatever name you've lived under, whatever label, whatever thing that has caused you pain that you've allowed your heart to connect to, it's time to step out from that name and receive the name that God has for you. Forgiven, blessed, loved, adopted. You have to do it. You have to walk out from under that and receive that grace. You're no longer a forgotten orphan. You're no longer a fugitive if you know Jesus, but you're an adopted and valued son or daughter. Is anybody hearing me this morning? Praise God that he changes our identity. Are you awake? Because that's the good news of the gospel, that he changes us from who we've been and who we've believed we've been to who we can be in him. We're not a victim. I will refuse that name. She said it herself, that's not over me. I'm an overcomer because of Jesus because of his blood, because of his grace, because of the plan that he has for my life, I'm not a victim. I will refuse that label. What label do you need to refuse this morning? And can I remind you, it's it's greater than just this self-will. It's greater than just this ability to say, no, I don't want that. 
I want you to see the brokenness of our past and these identities we've connected to in a negative way. They've been nailed to the cross. Look with me, Romans 6, 6. We know that we, what we used to be, we know that what we used to be was nailed to the cross with him. That happened so our bodies that were ruled by sin would lose their power. So we are no longer slaves of sin. That's because those who have died have been set free from sin. That thing that you've lived under, that story that has been told in your life for who knows how many years, doesn't have to be your story anymore, praise God. We can live in the victory that he wants to give you today. Today. Friends, can I just tell you something? You are not your sin. You are not your sin. You're not your past. You're not your fears or any other thing that would want to steal your identity. It's not you. It's not you. You're his if you know Jesus. You're his. You're made new. All those things have been nailed to the cross and died. And newness of life can be lived in your life, in your existence. And you know what happens when you're a new life and you're a new crea creation? A new creature, new things happen. You might be somebody going, man, that never happens to me. That stuff never happens. No, listen, when God changes your heart, he changes your life, he changes your identity, he wants to make you someone new. We won't live under the circumstances of brokenness. We won't live under somebody else's story they've applied to us. No, God is using my story. And he's using all the brokenness for his glory. He's going to use it. Here's the last thing I want to tell you this morning. Like Mephibosheth, we too deserve death. Whether it was the tradition of taking out the last dynasty before him or handing him over to another nation to be hung, he's not killed, is he? Why is Mephibosheth not given up to death? Do you know why? Does anybody know? It's the covenant. David made a covenant with Jonathan. And listen, today you deserve death. Last week we said Romans 3.23 for all of sin and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is what? Death. We're all sinners. We've all broken God's law and we all deserve death. But guess what? <laughs> guess what? God looks at us today and he remembers his covenant with Jesus. Jesus said in Matthew 26, this is my blood of the new covenant for you. Listen, if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus, and this is what I'm talking about, if you've never asked God to forgive you of your sins, to change your heart, to make you new, to give you life, to remove yourself out from what other people have said that you are or the mistakes that you have made and say, God, I wanna be forgiven, I wanna be new. You can say, God, forgive me today. Would you change me today? I believe you died for me. I, I believe you rose again on the third day and it's in the power that you have over the grave that you can raise my life up and give me a new story. It can happen today. God can look upon the covenant he's made with Jesus and give you life everlasting. We don't have to die an eternal death we can live forever with Jesus and you get to make that choice. Would you make that choice today? Would you say, God, would you save me? Would you change me? 
make this real to me? Listen, as we close, there may be some here this morning that are dealing with the brokenness of your life, something that happened in your life. God, how in the world are you gonna use that? I don't know, but I know that he will. I heard John Piper say one time there's something that was very impactful to me. I want to say it to you. I heard him say, sometimes we realize that we don't, we're not living that life we wanted. We're not living in that dream that we had hoped for. And I'll be honest with you, I'm, I, I was there a season in my life going, God, this does not look how I wanted my life to look. This is not what I thought like what, what was going to happen for me. This is what he says to do. He says, when you realize that's not your life, that you're not living the life you'd hoped for and this is not the dream of your life, you're living in something else. He said, this is what you need to do. You need to weep and you need to mourn for the life that you don't have. But he doesn't stop there. He says, then after you've wept and mourned for that life you don't have, wash your face and thank God for the life you do have. Some of us need to remember this is not our story. This is not our story. We each play a role in this story, but it's God's story. So how do we say, Lord, remind me it's not my story and my life doesn't matter except for how you want to use my life in your story. It's not mine. So I surrender my dreams. I surrender the life I thought I was going to have. I surrender all my wants and all my desires because this is your story and your story is all that matters. This morning, let's just reflect on the truth and the beauty of this story. We see David's kindness and David's mercy, but so much greater than that story is God's. Do you see it? Do you see it in your life? Do you see the potential for it in your life? Friends, can I ask you, have you made that choice to follow Christ? Not just some words, have you made that choice to follow Christ? And if for some reason you're not, you said, well, I followed him a long time ago, but life's just been rocky and I haven't really been where I needed to be or be who I need. It's time to own a new identity that's based in the grace that he wants to give you. So would you bow your heads this morning? Everybody just bow your heads and close your eyes. Can I just ask you, if, if today you're saying, Drew, I don't know if I'm saved. I don't know if I've trusted Jesus. I have no idea. I, I'll be honest with you, I don't know. And if I were to die today, I don't know if I would go to heaven or hell. I have no idea. Would you pray for me? If that's you this morning, would you, would you please just slip up your hand? I'm not going to call you out. I just want to pray for you. One, two, three, four. Anyone else? Five, six, seven, eight. Once you put it up, you can put it right back down. Anybody else? I just don't know. I don't know where I stand. At least eight people in this room right now are, are, are dealing with God and saying, Lord, I want to know. Because none of us are promised another moment, another day. Maybe your life will be interrupted with some medical emergency, something that you don't have control over. Will your heart and will your life be ready to meet a holy God? Because I promise you, if you don't know Jesus, you're not. But if you've trusted Jesus with all of your heart, then he's forgiven your past, he's forgiven your mistakes, and you can stand blameless before him because of the covenant he has with Jesus.
those of you that raised your hand and maybe you didn't this morning you wanted to but you couldn't I'm just going to pray a prayer and there's nothing special and magic about the fact of my prayer you can pray your own prayer but if you need to use my words if you want to borrow my words please feel free to do that but for those of you that raised your hands and said I don't know if I would go to heaven or not would you pray with me this morning from the bottom and sincerity of your own heart Lord God I know you're a holy God Please forgive me of my sins. Please wash them away. Please take away the identity that I've had and give me a new identity in Jesus. Lord, help me to change. I repent. I want to turn from who I've been to who you want me to be. I believe that you died for me. I believe that you rose again. Would you change my life? Would you save me, God? Would you do that for me today? Even me, even in the brokenness of my life, would you save me and change me for your glory? Please, God, change my life today because of the grace of Jesus. Some of you need to say, God, I know you. I know I'm going to heaven, but I've really been hoping my story would work out. I've really been hoping my plans would somehow work themselves out and they don't seem to be God. And some of you need to say, Lord, I surrender. I surrender to your story and not mine. It's not about me. My life is to be lived for your glory and your story. And if that's your heart today, you might want to come to this altar and pray. You might want to meet with the pastor and just say, pray with me. You might want to meet with a friend and say, pray with me. Whatever the case may be, can we just seek the Lord this morning for what he wants to do in our hearts and in our lives? For those of you that are struggling with that identity, my prayer for you this morning is that you would own the identity that has been bought and paid for you by Jesus on the cross. You are loved. You are forgiven. You are known, you are covered by the king's table. You are a son, you are a daughter. He's caring for you, he's caring for your future. Father God, you are so good. You are so kind. What a beautiful picture of your kindness to us. Lord, your word says that your, your kindness leads us to repentance. God, we just take that as truth for our hearts. That if there's anybody here today, they see your kindness, Lord. They see your love for them and that that kindness would drive them to their need for you and repent, Lord, and know you as Savior. Lord, would you do it today? May we be thankful for the life you've given us and live it for your glory. We pray it in the name of Jesus. And God's people said,